The first reading is from Acts, chapter 16, verses 9 to 15, and this can be found on page 1112 of the Church Bibles. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This is the word of the Lord. Praise God. Second reading is taken from Revelation 21 and 22. And you'll find it on 12.4.9 in your Bibles. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. I love reading the Acts of the Apostles. Um, It's it's the most action-packed, Um, first-hand account of the thriving, growing early church, taking the good news of the gospel all around the then-known world. And one of the main characteristics of the new community of believers, which formed after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, was that it was a sent-out community. It simply exploded in every possible direction, with disciples going east to what we call the Middle East today, going south to Africa, going north and west through Turkey, um, to Macedonia, northern to Greece, to Italy. So what was fueling this incredible passion to spread the good news of the gospel? Why were they such a sent-out community? Well, I think as we look at the accounts in Acts and read of the characters involved... We can pick out at least two important factors from our readings this morning, which sent this community out into the world. One of them is conversion. The people of this new community had experienced a conversion. They had been changed by Jesus Christ, which gave them a passion to share him with the world. And secondly, they were spirit-led. The Holy Spirit, living in these believers, led, guided, and even drove them to leave their homes, their countries, their places of safety, and to travel out to tell others about Jesus. Now, I don't know what conversion means to you, but this is what it means to me, personally. I was born into a Christian family, and so my childhood included memories of praying before bedtime, and Sundays included um, going to Sunday school, followed by sitting on hard pews in a cold church and wishing the service would end. But I never, I never really connected with God in those days. In fact, I wasn't at all sure that there was even a God. And so once I was old enough to put up some resistance, about 10 or 11 years old, I stopped going to church. And after that, I only went to church for weddings, funerals, christenings, for the next probably 25 years or so. Now, if I had to fill in a form about religion, I had no hesitation about ticking a box that said Christian, or for denomination, ticking the box that said Church of England. But in truth, 
it had little or no meaning. It would be a bit like saying that you belonged to the golf club when in reality you only spent time in the bar and never got as far as picking up your clubs, walking out onto the first tee and hitting the ball off. It wouldn't, you wouldn't, in truth, be a real golfer. But in the year 2000, three things took place which meant that I experienced a conversion to be a real believer and follower of Jesus Christ. And the first thing was that I had a quite dramatic spiritual experience when visiting a church in South Africa, when I can only say I encountered the presence of God during a time of worship. And that really opened my heart up to the possibility that Christianity might have something for me. And from that day, I actually had a sense of God's Spirit leading me. The second thing that happened was that as part of my subsequent searching for explanations, I went on an Alpha course. And for the first time in my life, I really had the Christian faith explained to me in a way that made sense. And so I began to dare to believe And the third thing that happened that year was that on the Alpha Day, which is part of the Alpha course, I made a decision to put Jesus first in my life and to follow him, come what may. And those three things, if you like, those three steps made up my conversion to to the Christian faith, to real belief. I'd been a nominal Christian before, but then I came to be a real one, if you like. And the years since then have been and continue to be the most exciting time of my life. And I found I developed a passion for sharing the good news with others and helping them to find faith in Jesus Christ. You know, J. John, the brilliant English modern-day evangelist who has a bit of a wicked sense of humour, often quips, why do so many people pretend to be Christians when you can actually be one? And, And that was me for most of my adult life. That was me. But to be a Jesus follower requires conversion. And in our reading from Acts this morning, we read of the conversion of a woman called Lydia. Um, Lydia's a fascinating woman. We we pick up the story on page 1112 on the church Bibles, or you can follow it in your service sheets. Um, Acts chapter 16 and verse 11. Now, Paul was, the Apostle Paul was travelling with his friend Silas at this time and one or two other disciples. And they eventually arrive in Philippi, which is a Roman colony in Macedonia, which is northern Greece, where we are told in verse 12 that they stayed for several days. And on the Sabbath day, it goes on, they went outside the city gates to the river to find somewhere to pray. And they strike up a conversation with a group of women, one of whom is Lydia. Now, Lydia's a fascinating woman. To start with, she turns out to be a businesswoman. And you don't hear about many businesswomen in the Bible. She's a dealer in purple cloth, which was the most expensive cloth you could buy in those days. She was a dealer in purple cloth from Thyatira, which is a town in western Turkey, near to the Aegean Sea. But, we're told, she was also a worshipper of God which means that she would have been a Gentile or non-Jewish believer in God. But clearly, she still lacked an understanding of God's love in Jesus Christ, because as Paul speaks to her about the good news, in verse 14, her heart is opened by the Lord. And she's converted, really. 
Subsequently, she and her whole household are baptized, and she puts her home at the disposal of Paul and the other disciples for their mission in Macedonia. Lydia's purpose in life had been business. And while she may well have continued to be a businesswoman after that, after her conversion, she starts supporting the mission of the early church. And more than that, it's quite likely that Lydia even goes on to start at least one church, to to be a church planter, if you like. Why might we think that? Because this passage doesn't say anything about that. The reason is this, that because in the Apostle John's letter to the seven churches in, in the book of Revelation, one of the churches that the letter is addressed to is the church in Thyatira, Lydia's hometown. And many biblical commentators think it quite likely that Lydia, who was clearly a natural-born leader, subsequently returned to her hometown and may have played a key role in establishing the church in Thyatira. So as a result of her conversion, she too became part of that sent-out community. And if we think of others, the Apostle Paul himself had been a religious man before he was converted on the Damascus Road and the Damascus Road experience and was transformed from a persecutor of the early church to become one of the foremost proponents, taking, um, spending the rest of his life taking the good news of Jesus Christ across much of the Greco-Roman Empire. The sent-out community, therefore, we read about in the book of Acts is, first of all, it's a converted community, converted by the grace of of Jesus Christ. Now, some of us might be wondering to ourselves, or even worrying, gosh, I'm not like Paul the Apostle. Does that mean I'm not converted? Or, I haven't had a Damascus Road experience, so does that mean I'm not converted? Let me reassure you on this point, because Christian research shows that of all Christian believers, about 70% of Christians experience a very gradual conversion that can happen over a long period of time, a a, a large number of years even. While about 30% of people experience a dramatic and almost immediate conversion to which they can almost give a time and a date. And both kinds are authentic and real. Neither one is better than the other. What's important is not the manner of our conversion, but the fact that we are converted that we not only believe in our heads that Jesus died on the cross for us and rose again, but that we build our lives on that belief. In other words, that we now consider the life and death and resurrection of Jesus to be the overriding and determining narrative for our lives. And that there is no greater service that we could do for another human being than to introduce them to the person of Jesus. That's what sends us out. That's what makes us a sent-out community. And yesterday, of course, at the Mayfair, we were sent among the community to feed people, to pray for people, to have fun with people, to bless people, to serve people. And it was a wonderful time, which I believe is just another step along the way to being a church that has a transforming effect on the community in which God has placed us. But these sent-out Christians in the early church needed help and guidance from God to know where to go, to know who to witness to, to where to take the good news. And as we read the accounts in Acts and our gospel reading from John, it becomes clear 
that this sent-out community was not just a converted community, but a spirit-led community. In the few verses, actually, which precede our passage, Paul and his companions had wanted to take the good news to Asia. But we're told the spirit of Jesus prevented them from entering Bithynia. It's an interesting thing, that, isn't it? The spirit of Jesus prevented them from entering Bithynia. They, they obviously felt God's spirit saying, don't go there, I don't want you to go there. And then Paul received a dream or a vision about a man in Macedonia asking for help. And so they concluded that God um, was leading them to Macedonia. And that's why they ended up in Philippi, one of the towns in Macedonia. And in a few verses which... Um, I'm sorry, and, and then we know in the gospel accounts that the Spirit of God led Jesus, didn't we, into the wilderness where he was tempted. And in the wilderness, the power of the Spirit comes on Jesus, and he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Even Jesus was led and guided by the Spirit. So, how do we become a Spirit led community which does the things that God has planned for us? Well, firstly, we need to listen to learn to listen and to hear and discern the Spirit's leading. And the only way to do that, I don't think there's any other way, the only way to do that is to put aside time for prayer and reflection. If we want to hear what God is saying, we need to ask him in prayer to guide us and then listen to what he has to say. Give him a chance to guide us, whether it's through Scripture through just a sense of of, of where he's calling us, or through other ways. Secondly, we have to learn to trust that we've heard from God and then act on what we feel God is leading us to do. This isn't always easy, but if we don't respond to the prompting of God's Spirit, then we'll never learn to follow his guidance. In the letter of James, James says, If you need wisdom, ask God. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person shouldn't expect to receive anything. When I was on training as a curate at Greyfriars Church, I used to drive past St. Matthew's uh, almost every day on my way back home. And and I often saw the the big cross outside, everyone notices that, Um, um, and, and wondered what the church was like inside. And I never imagined that I would actually come here and serve here. But over time, I began to felt drawn to the church. And a few years ago, long before John Hudson announced his retirement, I was asked, as a spiritual exercise, to write my own obituary. Now, that may sound a bit morbid, but it's actually a very interesting thing to, uh, thing to do. You might want to try it. R- to write my own obituary about not the life I've lived, but the life I still have to live. It's a, it's a fascinating thing to do. And for some reason, which I can only put down to God's leading, I wrote my obituary all about ministering here at St. Matthew's in this parish. Not having any idea that that could ever be a possibility. But as a result, when I heard that John Hudson had announced a surprise early retirement, I knew I had to explore the possibility of coming here to live and work. 
Kirsty and I came along in, in early 2011 to just sit in the congregation and get a sense of what we should do. And God gave us both a great peace that day. I remember Kirsty said she felt at home here. One of the famous sort of saints of the past, if you like, St. Ignatius, who taught and wrote much about hearing from God, he had a rule. And his rule was, never go back on a decision made in a time of consolation, which sort of means sort of peace. In other words, when God has given you a peace about a particular course of action, stick with it. Don't change your mind. Don't be in two minds about it. And that was the attitude of the sent-out community we read of in the book of Acts. Converted by the grace of Jesus Christ and led by the Spirit, they took the good news of Jesus to wherever they felt God was leading them. And I believe this is our calling in our community here. God has placed his church here, right in the centre of Southcote. Yesterday at the Mayfair, I think we were good news in the community. And I pray that more and more we would be like Lydia, we would open our hearts to be converted by the grace of Jesus Christ and to be led by the Spirit and join with God in his kingdom work in our parish. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being bearers of your good news. We pray that you would give us open hearts that we would be converted more and more by your grace and that we would learn to hear from you and be sent out by the power of your Holy Spirit to share the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.